brilliant shot straight between the shoulder blades. I happen to be carrying a book of poetry in my pack. Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. The single greatest sacrifice I've made is my family. We weren't out there to take country, we were out on your I did feel a lot of regret. Friends were still getting killed. It got to the point where, you know, you're going to humans quite often. Do I lead under fire? And that was a heavy responsibility, I guess, on my shoulders that I didn't want to swallow up. War itself is horrific. It's a horror story. It should never be dressed up as if it's something glorious. Not what you can do for yourself, but what can you do for your country. The volunteer for service was, in effect, to put your life on the line. I'm Alex Lloyd, and you're listening to Life on the Line. This episode is our traditional holiday season special with veterans from season seven sharing their stories of a Christmas in uniform. From Vietnam to Afghanistan, from the sea to the jungle to the desert, this is Christmas on the Line. Special Air Service Regiment veteran Doug Sheridan shared with me his memory of a Christmas in uniform. Western Sahara in 1993. Are you there over Christmas? I was over Christmas and there is a amusing story to that. I was lucky enough at Christmas to be at force headquarters. Subsequently being sacked as a UN force commander's driver for driving too fast down alleyways, which was unfortunate. As I thought I, I was driving quite normally, I knocked off shift at the radio room Christmas Eve, high five with another person that came in. And it was something like 5am on, on Christmas day. And there was the ostensibly the Moroccan provided security guard at the front who used to sit there and they'd changed, but we all knew they were Moroccan intelligence watching us. So I think I, I may grab, you know, we're talking 91, may have had a bottle of whiskey with me to celebrate Christmas Day. I was off shift, sat on the wall. This security slant Moroccan intelligence guy spoke no English. I spoke very poor French to none, certainly no Arabic. We had a conversation somehow through sign language and, and gibberish for an hour or so while I, I had a few Christmas Day drinks and he talked back drinking his black coffee. Yeah, celebrating Christmas in an Islamic country and uh, it would have been a weird experience of being away from home and the, I guess, sense of family or normality, but or you're there with a new family and brotherhood in a way. Yeah. Stepping away from the battlefield, do you remember your Christmas in Afghanistan in 2009? Funnily enough, I don't. Unlike the United Nations, the one that was in West Sahara, which was somewhat comical to me anyway, maybe later on to the Moroccan intelligence guy. But I think our battle rhythm or the operational tempo outside of the wild was so extreme, even though it was a, a winter rotation per se, it was so extreme that that Christmas came and went and I don't even recall the day. Army aviation veteran Rod Henderson spent a Christmas in Timor. He told his story to Angus Horden. Did you end up spending like a Christmas over in Timor? Yes, we did. I spent my birthday there in early December and end of Christmas out at Akusi on the checkpoint there. I was very fortunate. The lads had managed to get a cake for me and had some balloons sent over. I even got a bottle of scotch sent over there that we shared amongst the section. We kept it very quiet and we, we did the right thing, but we were all able to have a bit of a drink that night as well. It was good. Christmas time now with your family. 
it's not lost on your Christmas that you'd spent back in Timor. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, there were also my family there, the people that I was serving with. So they were like brothers and the bonds that you form over there, you're living in each other's back pockets. And just like a family, there's going to be times when you will annoy each other and other times where uh, you're really bonding. Vietnam War veteran John White told me that he does not recall a Merry Christmas in the jungle in 1968. Were there any moments you got to have of levity or you found moments of brightness or joy, for example? You would have had a Christmas there in 1968. Was there any sort of shining light moments or was it all pretty dark and grim for you? Dark. I can't even remember Christmas. So I'm sure they were sure it was had. I got shot down in a helicopter. I got shot by a sniper. It was a brilliant shot straight between the shoulder blades. I happened to be carrying a book of poetry in my pack. That's amazing. It is amazing. It was a a brilliant shot, exactly where I was meant to go. I got the fright of my life. That's a gimmick you see in the movies. I didn't know that actually worked in real life. It worked. (laughs) But the book stops the bullet. It worked, yeah. Was it a collection of poems or was it one poet? Collection of poems. Brilliant. Because it used to get dark at about six o'clock and you'd lie staring at the ceiling, you know, for a couple of hours. So I would read a poem and then analyse it. Vietnam War veteran Ray James remembers a happier Christmas time at sea. Do you ever recall a Christmas at sea? Yeah, I do actually. Um, and we had a good Christmas at sea. Um, we'd get dressed up. My wife always asked me, how come you see so see women at sea in your day? She <laughs> said, where did you get the clothes? I said, well, it was always the port before um, that we got uh, female clothes. But, yeah, look, we had a, a good time at sea. We, we looked after each other and obviously the skipper and the officers in the wardroom and the chiefs and the, and the junior sailors joined together to enjoy and celebrate Christmas at sea. SASR veteran Mark Doreen shared with Thomas Kay his couple of Christmases in Afghanistan. Over your whole duration there, had you ever spent a Christmas in Afghanistan? Uh, 2012, 2013, I was in Afghan for Christmas. 2011, I was there for Christmas. 2007, 2008, I wasn't. 2002, we came home. I think it was about the 15th of December. So a couple on deployment. I spent Christmas there and I think I spent a couple at the embassy as well as a civilian contractor. As a contractor, I remember the Anzac days that I spent in Afghanistan because we'd get one beer. And unlike in the army where we could kind of sneak one in and no no one would say too much, at the embassy they were a lot more stricter. The company was very strict if, you know, you got caught drinking and some guys, you know, snuck one in every now and then, but consequences were kind of a little bit more real. No one was turning a blind eye as a contractor. Getting a beer on Anzac Day was good. The Christmases, I suppose, more as a soldier being away at Christmas time. You wished you were at home with your family. Can you share any of the stories of your Christmas over there? Probably not too many stories to be told. You tried to compensate a little bit by the mess would try and put on a good feed. They would try and up the ante a little bit. I mean, we were renowned for having a good mess. We got fed really well, especially on the later trips. I mean, the early ones, I got sick of eating ration packs, but... On the later trips, we got fed really well. So it was kind of like you just went to lunch and there was some tinsel on the tables. Christmas wasn't really a big deal. We did a few secret Santas, I think. But then you're going to the markets on base to buy another pirated DVD to wrap up and give to someone. It was like going through the motions was good and fun. The actual gift giving wasn't really meaningful. Guys would have just rather be at home with their family, I suppose, but it's not where their country needed them on that day. So... I suppose that's the sacrifice that people make that a lot of people 
don't think of. It's the moments that you got time to think and and miss your family at the hard times and, you know, Christmas is just reinforcing that. It was the same as the birthdays that I missed out on. Funnily enough, my son's birthday, if he ever listens to this podcast, like I miss so many, born in the middle of the fighting season. And so I was generally at work when um, when it was his birthday. He loves to remind me now how many birthdays I've missed. And fair enough. So, yeah, the times that it was quiet and there was a reason to be reminded that you would rather be at home, they were the tough times, I suppose. Did you experience any differences between being there in the fighting season to the Christmas time with the change of season, the change of environment and the change of what actually happened on the ground? Yeah, I suppose the funny thing is I missed winter there for a fair while through those late 2000 years, both as a contractor and with the military because you were in Afghanistan and it was summer and you'd come home when it's summer because it wasn't the fighting season. I mean, the fighting season, from my opinion, in Afghanistan was kind of around that Anzac Day-ish, sort of that late April, I suppose, through to that September, October sort of period. It was warm. The locals in Afghanistan are up. They're about. They can do stuff. The trees have foliage on them. It's easy to hide. The fighting season, I think, was most obvious probably from when we went back in 2006 when there was the resurgence up to, you know, we took the bulk of our casualties, you know, it was like that 2009, 10, 11 period. Those fighting seasons were probably predominant. By my last trip in 2012, 13, it was winter. So it was kind of very different to be back there with the military fighting. I'd spent Afghan winters, I'd been in Af- Kabul in January. It's quite amazing when everyone's snowed in in the middle of town. But to be out trying to fight in it, down in Uruzgan and Kandahar was a bit of a different feeling. I mean, you fly up into the mountains and there's a bit of snow on the ground. Yeah, it was cold. You're like rugged up, getting rained on. But it was so late in the war. Bad guys knew we were leaving, so they were starting to come back in and try and insert their dominance. They could go and move into areas, and because the SOTG were the only guys going out there, there'd be areas where we could only get to maybe once a month. So the enemy had a lot of freedom of movement if they wanted to try and avoid it, which is why we needed to target them. If we hadn't have actually tried to target that hierarchy where they were, they're trying to avoid you. So it's almost sheer chance to run into them. So it was the targeting that allowed us to get to them. By 2012, 2013, I don't think the fighting season existed anymore. They were just coming back and trying to control the heat and warm and the cornfields are all grown. The, the grass has grown everywhere. The trees have got leaves all over them. It was a very different feel to the whole place when trying to get down into the valleys to fight. The enemy had somewhere a lot better places to hide. They could run up and down aqueducts and you couldn't see them from the high ground, that type of thing. Royal Australian Navy veterans Rebecca and Ashley Simmons each share their happy memories of celebrating Christmas at sea. Looking back over your 18-year career in the Navy, Beck, you would have had a few holidays at sea or on the job. Are there any standout Christmases you had with the Royal Australian Navy? We had a Christmas in July on Toowoomba and I did, I warmed up the crowd with my recorder. (laughs) Good Lord. I played recorder on the recorder Jingle Bells. It was really, really ordinary. Were you trying to torture the crew? No, well, actually it's, my friend Claire sent it to me. It's a glow-in-the-dark recorder, totally like just going to piss everybody off on the ship and I I love her humour. But I didn't know how to read music. So when we got to Dubai, I went and bought a book on how to read music. I demoed the letters onto where the holes were so I could actually play. 
that was probably the best Christmas that I had at sea. <laughs> but as far as like trips and seeing things around the world, oh, you could go to any place in the world and it might be dog shit, but if you're there with the right people, it's amazing. Ash, did you ever have a Christmas in uniform? A couple of memorable ones, actually. The early ones memorable for all the wrong reasons. Uh, I was, uh, I think, a seaman or able seaman, very junior. Being that way, got duty on Christmas Day at HMAS Waterhen and was violently sick with uh, vomiting and diarrhoea. Um, so I spent that Christmas Day sobbing on the toilet while it was coming from all ends. And I say sobbing loosely, it was, uh, it was horrendous. Uh, and then the second Christmas that I had whilst on duty was uh, while I was in the Middle East cruising down the African coast, which was actually quite nice. They put on a seafood spread and had a pretty quiet and relaxed day. So as far as Christmases go, that wasn't too bad. Uh, it would have been nice to be home with the family, but that's why we signed on the dotted line. They do put on a pretty good spread at Christmas, hey? That was Christmas on the line, volume six, 2023. Be sure to listen to the individual episodes from earlier this year. All details are in the episode description and are on our website. If you're keen to hear more festive stories, we've done more of these specials. From season two, Christmas on the line. It was freezing cold, it was snowing, and we were in a bunker. So it was all had all those ingredients of Christmas. In season three, Christmas on the line, volume two. But... It's a one of a kind. You can't replicate that here. For as bad as it sounds, I do enjoy a little bit of Christmas here, but I enjoyed the Christmas over there more because it was different. You can't do that anywhere else. In season four, volume three. Lots of people walk around in combat gear or camouflage and booted and spurred for a fight with a red Santa Claus hat on. In season five, volume four. And it was freezing, it was Christmas, and I remember having some drinks with the guys there. And It's kind of weird to be overseas during that period, but I feel like it was very common around that time. We just expected to be away a lot of the year. It was an unusual way to live, and we did it for years. And last year, in Season 6, Volume 5. There's nothing special at all in that, that time. That was one hell of a time, you know, because all you were worrying about was survival. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Life on the Line Podcast. On Twitter at LOTL Pod and on LinkedIn at Thistle Productions. Our website is www.lifeonthelinepodcast.com. And if you like this episode, please consider sharing the podcast on social media or rating us five stars in Apple Podcasts. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Artwork by Big Cat Design. Music by Dan Van Workhoven. I'm Alex Lloyd. On behalf of the team, wishing you all a Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.